This evening we'll be doing a scripture study on 1 Thessalonians, uh, verses 1, 1 through 10. And before we go there, we're going to um, go back into Acts, because that's where we find how the church was started in there. And as we read through Acts, we can notice that um, the greater part of the book consists of detailed accounts of conversions to Christ, and some unsuccessful attempts as well. I find it helpful to trace locations and timelines when doing a chapter study. Paul, Silas, and Timothy established the church in Thessalonica on Paul's second missionary journey as accounted in Acts 17, 1 and 9. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read that. In Thessalon Thessalonica, it was a, it was a port city in uh, so it was a big city in Macedonia. So there was a large number of people there. It was a very, very big city. When Paul and his companions, and I'm starting in Acts 17, verses 1 through 9. 1 through 9 when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphalus, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. And there you could see a large number of the more Greeks that were persuaded there because it was a, a city with many Greeks in the city. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and, uh, and the others post bond and let them go. And, uh, and as far as for... Um, um, Acts, Luke was the author of Luke, written in approximately 51 A.D., and Acts was written in approximately 63 A.D. Because of, the, because of persecution, Paul and Silas fled from Thessalonica to Berea. Since Timothy is not mentioned, it is possible that he stayed in Thessalonica or went back to Philippi and then later joined, rejoined Paul and Silas in Berea. Silas, uh, Silas was sent to Paul from, from the apostles, elders, and the whole church in Jerusalem. Silas was a leader in the Jerusalem, Jerusalem church. He was a prophet, as stated in Acts 15 and 32. 
Judas and Silas, and we'll, we'll read there, Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. And both Silas and Paul were both Roman citizens in Acts 16. Thirty-seven and thirty-eight. But Paul said to the officers, "They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out." So we could see there that both Judas, that that Silas and um, Paul were both Roman citizens. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. And Paul's companion, and also Silas was Paul's companion on his second missionary journey, and that's in Acts 15 and 40. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Timothy becomes Paul's traveling companion during the Apostle's second missionary journey in Acts 16, 1 and 4. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek, and they traveled from town to town. They delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And Timothy remained a trusted brother until the end of Paul's life. Second Timothy 1, verses 2 and 5. To Timothy, my dear son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And the purpose of this letter, uh, in writing this letter, was to praise the new converts for their perseverance and to encourage them in their trials. In 1 Thessalonians 3, and uh, 3 through 5, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, we were with you. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. And another reason was to give instruction concerning godly living, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 12. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of 
the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. About your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do all, you do all of God, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And another reason for this was to give, us, give assurance concerning the future uh, to the believers who die in Christ, who die before Christ returns. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13 and 18, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him according to the Lord's word. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These, uh, so these recent converts from uh, paganism, they would have found comfort and encouragement in this letter from Paul and Silas, Silas and Timothy. And there were many, uh, many Greeks and Jews and um, and others that converted in that city and hearing this letter, they would have found great comfort in that. So verse one, now we'll start. I know that's a lot of reading, but that's how the church started there in Acts. So we will start at verse, verse one uh, in First Thessalonians. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Here the Greeks use the term church to refer to any called out assembly, whether political or civil. And Paul gives the term a specialized meaning and addresses many whom were converted from their 
pagan religions, as well as many Jews who were converted to follow Christ. The fact that they were in God the Father made them separate from idolatrous Gentiles. The fact that they were in the Lord Jesus Christ separated them from unbelieving Jews. In God and in Christ are favorite expressions of the Apostle Paul, occurring some 263 times in his writings. Grace is God's favor toward man, free and unmerited. Peace is the result to all who receive favor in Christ. Verses 2 and 3. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says here that we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. The word continually means to frequently, repeatedly, or constantly do something. Paul, Silas, and Timothy continually thank God in prayer. I'm sure Paul's prayers were largely expressions of thanksgiving because of the work, labor, and patience on the part of the Thessalonians. Work that springs, springs from faith and labor that comes from love and patience that comes from hope. The author of Contending for the Faith notes that a clear distinction is drawn in Scripture between faith and work. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9 explains it well. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Work in a sense of activity, obedience, in response to a command of God is an expression of faith. It is faith and action. By example, Noah prepared an ark in he Hebrews 11, 7, and 8. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in, in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. <clears throat> when a man obeys God, he gives the only possible evidence that in his heart he believes in God. Verses 4 and 5. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Brethren is used 28 times in the Thessalonians epistle or letters in either the plural or singular form. The term not only describes the Thessalonians' relationship to Paul, but to each other as well. It also demonstrates the success of Christ. The pagans and Jews became one in Christ. Despised former idolaters and self-righteous Pharisees are now bound together in brotherhood in a way that would have been unthinkable prior to them coming to Christ. Verse 6. 
you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Paul describes Christians as imitators here, and in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, he issues a command. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The ultimate example to pattern our lives after is Jesus. We should all strive to be examples by following Christ. The Thessalonians did not just hear the word, they received it, accepting the word of God and not of man, therefore transforming their behavior. The message they welcomed was the word of salvation, Acts 13 and 26, the word of the gospel, Acts 15 and 7, and the word of the Lord, Acts 15 and 36. Severe, they went through severe suffering. Jesus himself warned of the difficulties his disciples would face in the world. In John 16, 33, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's amazing that so many Thessalonians accepted the gospel knowing that the persecution, persecution or even untimely death could come. In 2 Timothy 3 and 12, Paul says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Joy given by the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who gave power to those who preached the gospel gave joy to those who received it. Verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Thessalonians have followed the pattern of the churches in Judea, especially in the area of suffering, for the faith, and they in turn have become a pattern for others. 1 Thessalonians 2 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. Verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonian Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Evangelistic activity is a characteristic of the church. Having become the recipients of the word, these Christians feel an obligation to share it with others. Verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Here, uh, contending for the faith, uh, says this, here's a glimpse of what an impression the Christian religion was making on the ancient Greek culture. The clearest and most eloquent and most unanswerable proclamation of the gospel is the unconscious testimony of Christian living. The Thessalonians have come to enjoy fellowship with God. The motive in this conversion was not 
that they were repelled by the grossness of their idols, but they were attracted by the character of God. And today's for idols, today's application uh, for idols, uh, Ephesians 5 and 5. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And uh, the word serve here, the word means to serve as a slave and emphasizes the completeness of the surrender to God. In Romans 6, 16, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching <clears throat> that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Waiting for Jesus. As we wait, it shouldn't be in idleness. Instead, we must work even while we wait. We are all called to serve the living and true God. In Hebrews 9 and 28, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. <clears throat> 